uh, grateful that uh, Dusty's done a good job the last two weeks uh, bringing us to a place to know in evangelism that God wants us uh, to become all things to all people and use whatever means necessary to win some. And he's took the context of his message has come from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, and that's basically what the Apostle Paul said, that uh, to the weak he would become weak, to the strong he'd be strong, and uh, use whatever means necessary to win some, become all things to all people. Uh, where this verse got uh, really stuck in my head, there's a church down in Erlanger, Kentucky, Assembly of God Church, uh, really successful big church. Uh, they have a Saturday night service that uh, they named a different service to try to reach the 20-some-year-olds in generation uh, that was coming on that wasn't attending church. So the pastor at that church, a uh, great guy, a great pastor, had uh, successfully grown a church, and it was pretty sizable. But he looked around, and he saw a bunch of old uh, mid midlife and past people, and he said, where's the 20 and 30-year-olds? And he began to question that and challenge that. And, and uh, next thing you know, he began to pray about it. What can we do? What can we do to reach uh, another generation? And uh, he come across that verse, 1 Corinthians 9.22, and it stuck out to him. So he renamed the church, and they created a separate service completely geared towards uh, 20 and 30-year-olds. And they started a church, and it's called Church 922. So ever since I've heard the story from uh, the pastor down there about that, that it, it's kind of stuck in my mind that I can, that's one of the verses I can memorize now because it, it means something to me because Church 922 has saw, I, I know thousands of people come to know Jesus because that pastor did something outside of the norm and uh, started a, a church service on a Saturday night. And uh, it's always on Saturday night. And we've went a couple times, me and Leslie, and attended and it's not church as normal i mean there's uh church 922 pastor he actually has got tattoo sleeves and you know don't look like a father white collar it's not that style it's just a different style but uh, they're winning a lot of people to jesus and that's the main thing so let's become all things to all people and by some means let's let's win some right and that's what dusty's taught us and as he's looking through this evangelist, evangelism, you can't have that word without an evangelist. So evangelism is the work of an evangelist and uh, part of the church that reaches outside of their four walls, to say it that way, and outside of their norm to try to go after demographics and people that don't know Jesus, to reach somebody. To not just sit back and say, well, it's us four, no more, and it don't really matter, and let's just do what we do, and let's have our three little, four little songs, and let's have a sermon, and let's do an offering, and let's do this and do that, and that's good enough. Uh, we should always strive to do more and move forward. So evangelist, the term itself, according to Mary Webster, is, uh, is specifically a Protestant minister or layman who preaches at special services. Also says that evangelist means an enthusiastic advocate. So somebody that's an evangelist for something is enthusiastic and they're an advocate for something. And in my time of Christianity, I, I was saved in October of 1999. I've talked to people this week about that there's uh, life moments that happen for us 
that pivotal moments, uh, decision-making that is really defines us and our futures. And I don't know what pivotal moments were in your life. For one, me, I was talking this week to the person about that and how that a pivotal moment in my life was when I died in a cistern. And my aunt jumped in and saved me and brought me back to life. And, and uh, just all these different things. And it took me about five years to ever come to my uh, knowledge of Jesus and Christianity and truly offer and surrender my life to him. And that was in October of 99. And been water baptized. I've been uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit and just believing God and, and uh, following his guidance since October of 99. Uh, but I've watched the church change in my lifetime. And some people don't like change. Some people like to remain the same. They get a pattern. They get a set way of doing things. Like this morning, I went in, and I always get my coffee that Leslie makes for me that's cold by the time I get up and get out of the shower, and I have to put it in the microwave and heat it up. So I heat it up, and I get my blueberry muffins. And, and I, this morning, I left the microwave door open. That's just like a no-no. You don't leave the microwave door open. Is there a rule that says you have to shut the microwave? I, I don't think that's a rule. I just left it open. I was worried about my coffee more than I was the microwave. I watched Leslie walk in the kitchen after that, like that. It wasn't a split second. She looked at that microwave door, slammed. She looked like, she didn't look at me. Yeah, so yeah, the light was on. It was, it's like the end of the world. The, the microwave light was on. Oh my goodness, what is going on here? And she she is so conditioned that it's amazing. I can go and dig through. Everybody's got a junk drawer in the kitchen, don't they? Does everybody have a, one drawer in your in your kitchen cabinet? It's just a junk drawer. It's got everything. You got lighters and and screwdrivers and just there's a little bit of everything in it. I can go through that junk drawer and dig around and find something. If it's and there's like 75 things in there at least. And if one of them's gone, she's like, well, where's that at? And it don't take her two hours to find that I was in there. It's like, it's like she goes behind me and makes sure that nothing gets changed. I love change. I, I, I love change so much that I just change for the fun of it. I change for the sake of change. It's just, some people don't like it, though. And the church is a place that really doesn't like change. I, uh, we went through the study with the healthy church thing a few years ago, and a healthy church, uh, Robert McManus, said that uh, the world changes on three-year intervals, but the church usually changes on 30-year intervals. There's a whole lot of truth in that, that every 30 years, something will happen. Like in the 70s, you had the Gaithers coming on, and that changed from the hymns that was before them. And now, 30 years after the Gaithers, what comes along? Now you got praise and worship music, and, and the church changes on 30-year intervals, and we wonder why we become so fuddy-duddy to society, because we won't change along with society every three years. Three-year changes, I guarantee you, hairstyles changes every three years, right? There's different things that people do in society that changes about every three years. Uh, dress, what kind of, and don't you love it that the mullets are back? I mean, I, how awesome is that? The, all, the mullets are back. I'm so excited about that. I want to grow one, but I don't have hair on the top anymore. I, I had a nice mullet in my day. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I could go, yeah. Yeah, I could do that. Still get a perm in it. I'm sure Elizabeth would let me perm my mullet. It'd be awesome. Uh, it'd be so cool. Come on, man. Grow a mullet. Be a man. Come on, Ryan. But the church don't change a lot. But in, in my generation of church, since I've been a Christian, since October of 99, I've witnessed change. 
that. And when I first got saved at, uh, at Raceland Church and Pastor Wells, and I love him dearly, and, and uh, there was evangelists. There was actually evangelists that would come and, and preach at our church, and he would have revivals and things like that. They would call them, and, and uh, Pastor uh, every year would get a big circus tent. I mean a huge one that would seat 400 or 500 people underneath his tent outside of Raceland Church. And multiple churches would come together and put on this event with a tent revival. And, and I've got to work that tent revival and set up the stages and do all the work of doing all that and got to witness it, it firsthand. And Chris Owens be coming in and preaching revivals at, at the church. And I love to hear Chris preach because he's a real uh, impassioned, uh, he's an advocate. I, I, and he's enthusiastic. I mean, he, would, he was so much of a preacher that I just, I love to sit on the front row and just catch what he was doing. And listen to his sermons, and I, I love Chris Owensby. Uh, I've looked him up a couple times, tried to keep track of him, see what he's doing now. He's pastoring a church down in Mississippi, where he's from. He used to be an evangelist. Awesome guy. Uh, Kenny Large was a uh, evangelist from our church up there in Raceland that traveled all over the United States, preaching everywhere. He preached in all over the United States, and doing the work of an evangelist. And I've witnessed those evangelists be there when I got saved. But now look around. You don't hear the word or term evangelist very much in today's world. It's, it's like a shift. It's a change. And sometimes God allows things to happen and change happen, and we just need to be okay with it. Amen. And sometimes I ask why. Well, God, why did you have so many evangelists back then, and now there's none? Why? And it, it really isn't up to us to know sometimes. Right? We don't have to have an answer. And sure, we can pray and ask God, but if he don't give us an answer, we shouldn't get mad at him and say, well, I can't believe he's holding back on me. What's he, what's he hiding? The Bible says that everything, there's a season. There's times and there's seasons. There's mountains, there's valleys. There's all kinds of, of times that we see that God just shifts and changes dispensations even. All through the Old Testament, you see the changes happen. But I've really noticed this, that there's not evangelists anymore. And literally, I went to a conference a few years ago, and, and, and hundreds and hundreds of, of Christians there and pastors and leaders of the church, and I only found one evangelist. It's a really big change. And evangelism is important, and evangelism is important, and, but the, the shift that's happening, I believe, is a God thing. And some of the even bygone generations that you can think about, whenever you think of the word evangelist, I, I'm sure that I can say this one man's name in, in our lifetime of everybody in here. He just passed away recently, and, and Billy Graham. That may, You just say that name, it means something. It means evangelist. It means filling stadiums and, and, and TV programs and, 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 and how that... Billy Graham really was a, a, an evangelist at heart. It was his calling. It was his passion. It was, he was enthusiastic, and it was amazing what he was capable of doing. But you can't say that it wasn't without controversy because when Billy Graham come on the scene, it was really a pivotal change in society, and things were happening, and, and he, he was a change agent that it was even not normal what he was doing because he would use television to create a program to preach the gospel. 
And there's a lot of people and a lot of pastors and a lot of congregations that believed that the TV was the devil. They would preach against it, literally, from the pulpit and say, do not have a TV in your room. Do not have a TV in your house. It's the devil, and you're giving him access, and he's getting his eye in watching your life. And there was preachers would preach, and they would, they would say, I know what, whose house the devil's in because his tail is hanging out the side of the house. You know what that's about, don't you? It's an antenna hanging out the side of the house. A lot of you younger people don't even know what an antenna is. You don't know what it's like to have to go up and take turns standing on the hill holding the antenna to ground it so that the channel will come in. Reception will be there. Bunch of satellite watching cable TV streaming Netflix society. It was different back then. Literally, I remember that. And then I was I was little when we lost our TV and we didn't have a TV anymore. The rest of my life, I didn't have a TV, which is probably a good thing. Looking backwards, I played in the creek a lot more. But there was preachers preaching against TV. And at the same time, there was an evangelist that led the charge to say, I'm going to have all things to reach all people. I'm going to be an evangelist and become what I need to become and do what God's called me to do. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Literally, I can take that verse and say that this earth is God's and the fullness thereof. That means everything here is his. Amen? So a lot of things that people in the church wants to get so demonized with, you're actually giving the devil territory that is not his. Amen? The only thing he has access to in your life, the devil, the enemy, old Lucifer, Slewfoot, the only thing he has access to is whatever you give him. If you don't give him territory, he does not have territory. That's what I love about Betty down at, uh, she always attends Vanceburg campus, Betty Sparks. I love Sister Betty. She's a unique character. She's a unique person, but she'll, she'll plead the blood of Jesus. And she'll pray and she'll say, create a hedge of protection about us, God. And she just believes to pray and seek and say that this is God's. Our church, this is God's. Amen? My life, this is God's. Pray over your home. Pray over your kids. Don't give the enemy anything. It's not his. This earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Billy Graham could have looked at it and said, well, everybody else is preaching. You can't have a TV, so maybe I don't need to use a TV. And there would have been thousands and hundreds of thousands that wouldn't have come to know Jesus if they didn't have Billy Graham on a TV. It's important for the church to do what God's called us to do. It's important for us as Bethesda to be the church that God's called us to be. And as this change and this shift happened that I don't see the evangelists there anymore, does that mean God quit? I don't think God ever quits. I don't believe God will ever quit chasing you. Amen? 
I believe he'll chase you all the way to the time that you take your last breath. I've heard preachers stand up and preach and give a sermon and give an altar call and say, if you don't come today, this is your last chance and God's going to give up on you and you won't have another opportunity. I can't believe that. He loved you so much he'd give you his son to die on a cross for you. Why would he give up on you? Because you made a decision against him one day. Everything that has breath, praise ye the Lord. Amen. That means as long as you've got breath in you, the reason he gives you the ability to take that breath is to praise the Lord. So if you still got breath in your body, that means you still got an opportunity to be saved, Amen. to become a Christian, to do what God's called you to do. So this shift and this change is happening within this 20 years of of my Christianity, my Christian life, if you want to say it that way. But God didn't quit working. God didn't quit moving. God didn't quit doing the work of evangelism. He's just taking a different format. He's taking a different way of doing it. So as I begin to think about this message and this series, as Dusty is telling us to become all things to all people, and he's really encouraging us to really step back and evaluate our life and, and look at it and say, what does God want me to do? The office of evangelism and evangelist is a different thing than doing the work of evangelism. So Ephesians chapter 4, we can go there, Ephesians chapter 4 in, in the New Testament, it talks about these parts that God gives to the church to, to lead the church. That there's offices that he gives, it's giftings, it's callings. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Ephesians chapter 4, where's that at, 11? Yes. Let's step back to verse 9. It says, now that he ascended, what is it, but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he might feel all things. We know who this is talking about, right? Who is it that descended first? He's talking about Jesus. Because Jesus was on this earth. He lived here for 30-some years, 33 and a half years or somewhere thereabout that most people believe, historians believe. And he lived on this earth, a sinless life. They hung him on a cross. And whenever they hung him on a the cross, they, they brutally beat him, and he died on that cross. And when they took his body down, put him in the grave, where did he go? He went to the lower parts of the earth. We know that, right? We've done a sermon series a while back on end times and preached all about that. So he descended into hell on your behalf so you didn't have to go there. And he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, and he come out victorious, right? So as he come out, then he lived 40 more days on this earth, walking about with his disciples, talking to them, teaching them. It's Acts chapter 1. It talks all about it. That Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, he was here 40 days on earth. And as he's talking and going about with his disciples, he's teaching them things. And then it says in Acts chapter 1 that he ascended, that he went up in the clouds. And as he went up in the clouds and he went into heaven, he, he went away, right? He, he, he was here for a while, but he went away. And he said, I won't go away and leave you comfortless. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He'll be your comforter. He'll be your guide. He will show you all things and cause you to have remembrance of things. 
So Jesus is who they're talking about here. Then verse 11. I love this verse. It's called the fivefold ministry. So if you do study on this, you'll, you'll see that this is known as the fivefold ministry of the church. That there's pe people that receives giftings and callings of God. And he gave some apostles. And he gave some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. So the church has these five giftings. And I believe that God wouldn't give any gift that he'll take away. Amen? He's, he's not an end-end giver. He's not one that will give and then take back. I, I don't even know where that term derives from, but that's what everybody says, right? If you give them something and then take back, you're an end-end giver. I don't even know what that means. If anybody got ripped off as the Indians, it wasn't some white man probably come up with that slang term. God's not like that. If he gives you a gift, the Bible says that the gifting and callings of God are without repentance. It means he don't have to take them back. He's give you a calling. I believe everybody has some form of calling and some form of gifting, but that doesn't mean they're all in this five category here. This is for the leadership of the church. The reason for this five-fold ministry here is for what? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's why Jesus, when he ascended, gave five-fold ministry to the church to lead the church. Why? To edify. To edify means to build up, to encourage, to strengthen, to have each other's back. So as you come to Bethesda, I want Bethesda to be a church that is a church that you walk in and feel like, man, I've been beat down, I've had an awful week, and like Dusty said, you can be real. You can tell somebody, I've had a bad week. I want you to be able to walk in Bethesda and not have to put on a fake church smile and say, oh, my life's just precious. It's okay to come here and say, man, it's been a rough time. Ryan's tired of working seven days a week. It's okay to say, man, I'm tired. I might sleep during a sermon. Pastor Ben is not going to get mad. Dusty's not going to get mad. It's going to be okay. We'll get through it. We need to be here for each other. But the main thing I want for our church is to be a place that people are hurting, that are broken, that feel like that society has left them behind, that's got a place to come and say, I can fit in here. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor, if you're black, if you're white. If you're old, if you're young, I want us to be a church that crosses demographic and ethnics and none of that matters. That we can all just come in and say, man, lift me up when I'm down. And I promise to lift you up when you're down. Because everybody's had a bad week. Amen? And everybody needs encouraged. Everybody needs strengthened at some point. Amen. There's some people that's got that bubbly personality that they're always just like a big whatever. Can't put a term on them. You know them kind of people. You know who I'm talking about. It's kind of sad, though, in reality, because as I look back and you think through Chris Farley's and can you say his name? Got this big bubbly personality and just smiling and laughing and making everybody else laugh and then it doesn't end well because they try to internalize what they're supposed to be letting out. 
There's nothing wrong. That's what, that's what it says, and, and I think the word of the Catholic Church kind of messed it up. You know, the Bible says confess your faults one to another. It isn't about coming and confessing to Pastor Ben all the time and me sitting behind the little booth somewhere and sliding the thing up and listening to all your problems. It's about the church as a whole having connection groups and friends that you can lean on, that you can just say, man, it's bad right now. That's why we as, as Bethesda do connection groups and, and Ryan and Elizabeth help lead those and how, how that we should be encouragers and strengtheners and, and builders and things like Leslie leading this connection group now and, and she's done a kayaking group, Cindy's done a kayaking group and multiple people in here has done all kinds of different groups. Donna's done scrapbooking groups and, and, and cookbook groups and we've done a little bit of everything. You know why? Because we want to come all things to all people that we can win somebody. And there's been all kinds of visitors come to those groups that didn't attend church. That's okay. That is evangelism in the 21st century, in my opinion. So what if God wants to use a new method instead of having an evangelist stand on a stage in a room somewhere, if he wants to use normal, average, everyday Christians to go and be evangelists in the society we're living in? I think it'll be stronger. And the reason I say that is because I know that there was people that went to a big conference somewhere that stood in a stadium somewhere that heard Billy Graham preach and went up to an altar and prayed the, the sinner's prayer and, and really believed in their heart that they were saved and really was and walked away but didn't have anybody to lean on and nobody to go back and talk to and nobody to get through life with. And they ended up giving up on God because they was not strengthened enough What it is, we need to care more. Everybody in this room, you, everybody here, there's no loners here. I don't care how isolated you, you make yourself and, and, and try to do life alone. I promise you, there is points that you get to the point where that you have to have somebody. Amen. And if we can be a church that facilitates that, that's the church we need to be. There's a new movement going all over America today, and it, it's, it's the multi-site church, right? It's, it's what Bethesda is. I read a book about it when we first started uh, the, the Healthy Church series and breaking all the rules, R-U-R-A-L-S, I think it's rules. I can't say it, but that's what it means. And it's a small church down in, in, uh, in the south that the guy, forward-thinking preacher, and he thought, you know, if I can't reach everybody in my city here and there's churches closing down over there and next thing you know he gets all these churches and it's a, he wrote a book about the process of how he become a multi-site church. That's why you're sitting in this room today. Multi-site is another tool of evangelism, I believe. You see the no trespassing sign on the door back there? On that, look, turn around and look, right back there in that little window. That was hanging on the door of this building with a locked door months no church service in this building and God allowed Bethesda to be a multi-site church we're the only multi-site church in Lewis County why I want to be on that cutting edge I want to be doing what's happening in the kingdom of God don't you that's why we do this. And as I say that, I, my goal is five. 
I probably don't say it enough, but the dream and vision Pastor Ben has for Bethesda as a whole, I want five different buildings or meeting places as campuses. Whenever God wants to do it, I'm not going to force his hand and I'm not going to make him do it. But that's my dream because Bethesda means, if you go back to John chapter 4, it says Bethesda is a place with five porches. You know what a porch is? I love sitting on them, don't you? Yeah. What happens on a porch? You got a big swing, right? You can go up to mom and dad's, you got a swing on both ends, and you can just go to sleep there. I mean, literally, it's just so quiet and so peaceful. Isn't that what Bethesda should be? Just run around telling everybody, man, you can, you can come to my church, my pastor said it's okay for you to sleep. I won't be that kind of church. My grandma's sitting there asleep right now. That's okay. She stayed up all night in a nursing home. I don't look at her bad. I don't hold any ill will. I love her. I would rather her be here than anything. It's okay. Love God. Love people. And Lynette's sitting there holding her. I love it. That's strengthening each other. That's encouraging each other. That's building each other up. It's okay at Bethesda. That's different. Work of evangelism. That's what connection groups are. I mean, it just it's so crazy to think about. And, and that's, that's how Cindy ended up here. Is, is Leslie go, getting in kayak and just to try to reach people with a different way. You don't have to stand up here with a microphone in and do this stuff. You can get out in a creek in a kayak and float down a creek with some people for even months, right? And finally Cindy's like, well, better go try that place. There must be a bunch of odd ducks up there if they're out kayaking. And she's been there ever since. And so many of you here has come because Bethesda is the type of church that it is. And I want to be that. I want us to be that for the next person coming in. That we're always looking out saying, man, there's more out there that needs to know about this salvation and this water baptism and this thing that I've experienced and this new lease on life and how refreshing it feels. I, just all of you, everybody here, I go through everybody here and, and think about how refreshing it is the, when you first came in and the joy that's in your heart. remember Val coming and just couldn't read enough of the Bible and just digging and, and now she's serving and helps with children's church and becoming involved and that's, that's what life is for. Bethesda needs to be about helping others. My favorite evangelist story in the scripture is Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, there's this guy named Philip, and all through the book of Acts, it talks about uh, this guy named Philip, and there's multiple accounts about what he did, and uh, Paul even stayed all night in, in Philip's house at one point, and, and, and Philip had, Paul was bragging about him, he said he's got five or four daughters, and they're all prophets. How amazing, right? Raised four kids, and all of them saved. 
Paul was bragging about Philip. And Philip was an evangelist. He went out into the highways and byways and compelled people to come. That's what Jesus said to do. And Philip, one time he went to this city of Samaria in Acts chapter 8. It's my favorite evangelist story in all, all of Scripture that, for me, it, you could have something different if you want. But Acts chapter 8, he takes off and he goes over to Samaria and he begins to preach. And it says in Acts chapter 8 that, that as Philip preached, many people become to believe and they begin to baptize. And, and it was just a, a wonderful thing. It's really a revival taking place without having to have a meeting and a bulletin board and anything else. Philip was just preaching. And people was getting saved and they were believing in, a, in this Jesus that he was telling about. And as this happened, it says that there was great joy in the city. How many would like for our town to be some great joy to go on around here? Amen? I'm tired of the negativity. I'm tired of always saying Lewis County's never been good enough and all that. Why don't we just preach about Jesus and let people get saved? And how many remembers the joy that come to your heart when you got saved? The new lease on life. And man, that, that freshness that's there. And that can, that can re replenish itself. That's what revival's about. It means you've been alive once and you're about dead and it's about time for another shot in the arm. Amen? That's what revival is. I, I would pray for revival in Lewis County where the people that used to be Christians that maybe has walked away on God and people that used to come to Bethesda that believed in Jesus, that's been baptized and, and, and taught in children's church that walked away, that they would come back and be revived. I would love a revival and great joy to come to the city. So as Philip was doing this and it's mightily successful, so successful, and then the success, has anybody ever had any success in anything in your life, some way, shape, or form? You've done something one time and had success. Shania had success recently. She, she had, a, had an event, and, and Shania had an event, and it was real successful this week. How many teenagers do you know that raised $8,000 last week? Amen. That ought to bring great joy to the city, thinking some teenager can do it. And she did that, and it brought great joy to me. Knowing a teenager wants to do something, get behind them, push them, help them, guide them, do everything to help them. Great joy comes to the city. But in the midst of that, we can get big-headed in that. So you got to keep Shania humble now, Mom. <laughs> Hold her down. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> but we can get to big head when we, when we get successful, right? So Philip's out here preaching. Everybody's getting saved. And next thing you know, God whispers and says, Philip. Go out in the desert. What? I'm preaching and all these people getting saved and baptizing people and joy's in the city and, and God says, go over in the desert. You know how we are. I'm mad. I'll, okay, God, I'll just stomp over through there and take off. You know, it's like eventually we all get to that point where we say, well, I'll just do it, God, because you're making me and I, I don't want to, but I'll do it anyway. And Philip, I can just imagine this evangelist with a big head that's, you know, the popular guy in town at the moment and brought great joy to the city. He's stomping out through the edge of town, heading over through the desert. And then all of a sudden he gets out there in the middle of the desert and he's sitting there looking around, not a soul, nobody, nothing. And as he's sitting out there, I'm, I'm sure he's about like Daniel and, and all the different ones through the Old Testament, you know, just gets mad, or not Daniel, the other one, what's his, the, sitting under the tree. Not Elijah. Help me, Ernie. The one sitting under the bush and in the molly groves about going and preaching to Nineveh. Jonah. There we go. Should have, Lord of mercy. How did I forget Jonah? What a pastor am I? 
I'm sure Philip was about like that, mad, you know. God, I was doing so good, and look what you did to me. And God tells him, you know, go out there and sit. And he's out there sitting, and all of a sudden, you hear this ruckus out there. There comes this caravan across through there. And it says as this caravan comes across, he's, he's sitting there looking, and God tells him, say, go over and get next to that. Go over and get next to that. So Philip, he kind of jumps over there, and he goes over, and a big crowd of people coming through, and like his caravan, he gets over, and he hears them. And they're reading this book that they just picked up in Israel. And it's an Ethiopian eunuch riding through a desert, listening to this new book being read to him. And he's riding in this big chariot. He says, that don't make any sense to me. And as Philip gets close, he hears it, and he gets over next to him. And the eunuch looks at him and says, do you know what this means? Yeah, I know what that means. And the eunuch says, here, get up in this cart with me and ride with me and explain this to me. Read the story. It's awesome. And Philip gets up in that cabin, and he sits there, and he begins to explain what the lamb to the slaughter meant and talk to him about Jesus, talk to him about being baptized, talk about him a new, a new lease on life, and Jesus can refresh and renew you. And this Ethiopian eunuch, the number two in command in Ethiopia, gets saved in that instant, in that moment. And says, why don't we stop this cart? There's water right there. I want to get out and get baptized. And that's what they do. God cared as much about the one as he did the thousands in the city. That's what evangelism is. I want you to stand with me if you will. Do the work of the evangelist. Missionaries are evangelists of our day and time too, I believe. that Missionaries go to cities and carry out the will of God in places and regions that have never heard the name Jesus. There's five different families going to be here with us next weekend. They're going to be explaining some of these things to us, and they're doing the work of evangelism. But we can't leave it all on their shoulders. We're wanting them to walk away from Lewis County encouraged, and we want to strengthen them. We want to edify them. But there's people that live in our neighborhoods. There's people in our workplaces that don't know the reality that Jesus can transform their life. And here we stand today. And I really believe that God is knocking on our doors to say, I want to bless you beyond measure. but I'm doing it so you can bring others to me. Won't you close your eyes and bow your head if you would? I really believe that the Holy Spirit is knocking on some hearts' doors in this place today. And there's some people in this room that wants to be on the team. that wants to be on the team 
Holy Spirit is knocking on your heart's door. And it's Jesus, he's knocking and he's saying, let me come in. Let me be the help you need. You want change, I'm the change you need. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me because, amen, thank you. Hands all over the place. Anybody else saying, I, I need something more. I need something new. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. Amen. Amen. I want everybody here to repeat this prayer with me. I say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I'm asking you to forgive me for my sins, for my faults, for my failures. Help me to be all you've called me to be. Help me to reach out and touch others for your name's sake. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.